This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org. Navigating Parkinson's disease can be challenging, but we're here to help. Welcome to the Michael J. Fox Foundation podcast. Tune in as we discuss what you should know today about Parkinson's research, living well with the disease, and the Foundation's mission to speed a cure. Free resources like this podcast are always available at michaeljfox.org. Welcome to our latest episode of the Parkinson's Science POV podcast, where we break down what's happening in Parkinson's research and how the Michael J. Fox Foundation is advancing new treatments. I'm Maggie Cool, Vice President of Research Communications. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that we hear a lot about from our Parkinson's community, gait and balance issues, freezing, falls, shuffling, posture issues, These are some of the most troublesome and really impact quality of life and can frankly be pretty dangerous. Joining me today is Mark Frazier, our chief scientific officer, and instead of our other CSO, Brian Fisk, who is currently stretching his gait while hiking the Grand Canyon, we have with us Dr. Katie Kopel, who is our senior vice president of clinical research. Katie, thanks for joining us. I'm excited. This is fun and um, a topic that's so important to the community and a great area of focus for the foundation. So excited to share some updates. Yeah. Hey, Maggie. How's it going? So, Mark, um, why don't you kick us off and just sort of frame the issue for us? What gait and balance challenges do people with Parkinson's face and why is it so difficult to treat them? Sure. So, I mean, studies show probably about 80 percent, if not higher, of people with Parkinson's experience challenge with gait and balance and, and ultimately falls. And this is just a huge unmet need, as you said. I mean, falls can lead to hospitalizations, broken bones, um, really, really difficult things to deal with. And the challenge with gait and balance and treating falls and Parkinson's is that it happens typically, um, balance issues, they can occur early, but the falls really develop as the disease progresses. And we know Parkinson's is a progressive disorder, and there are a lot of other things that are happening as uh, Parkinson's progresses. So there could be cognitive changes, there could be mood changes, other um, non-motor symptoms, along with the typical tremor uh, issues. And so really understanding why the freezing of gait is occurring when all of these other challenges are happening with Parkinson's disease is a big problem. So teasing that out scientifically and understanding what goes wrong in the brain when someone freezes is really hard. There's also, you know, very little that we understand or our our understanding of of the brain and how um, freezing of gait occurs and what goes wrong, what circuits go wrong in the brain is limited. And so there's a lot of studies that are doing neuroimaging approaches to really understand why someone freezes, um, what causes someone to freeze, what causes someone to not freeze and and overcome that freeze to um, reduce the the falling. And so just the neuroscience behind it, I think, is challenging. And and then the last issue is that the current medicines, um, typical, the dopaminergic medicines like levodopa or cinnamet, and some of the other medicines available really don't treat 
gait and balance. They do a pretty good job with um, movement and tremor, um, but they really don't treat or improve someone's balance. Um, so that's a big challenge. I guess the last thing I would say is um, one of the things that we're learning and we, we learned um, from this workshop that we held is that there's a lot of variability in the types of challenges that people have um, with gait and balance. So some have just slower steps. Some people have more variable steps where they might have a long step than a short step. Um, and so the variability may cause falls to occur. Um, and then there are there is a subset of individuals that just have um, freezing uh, when uh, they're walking. And um, understanding this sort of variability, even within Parkinson's disease, it's a big challenge. There are some um, projects that are going on to address that challenge. But it's, it's, it turns out that this sort of gait and balance as a category actually can be very personal and personalized depending on the, the person and the, their experience and journey with Parkinson's disease. So it sounds like, as you said, there's a lot of, of issues that different types of issues that people could face and potentially a lot of contributors to those issues. I just want to make sure that our audience is coming along with us on this conversation. We said the word freezing a lot and freezing of gait. Can you quickly define what that means, what the experience is like for someone? Sure. Well, people um, will be walking along and then um, a lot of times their feet will feel like they're stuck in cement and they cannot continue to walk. And so that's what we call freezing, where you'll see um, perhaps the feet are moving just a little bit, but they really feel like they cannot lift their foot to take a, a next step. And it's a big problem because as you may imagine, that could lead to balance issues and then falling. Okay, thanks for that uh, quick clarification. So as we said, a lot of different types of issues, and it seems like it would take a lot of different types of approaches to prevent or ease these issues. So Katie, can you bring us through some of the therapies and testing to prevent or ease all of these gait and balance challenges? Yes, there's an exciting pipeline trying to tackle this really complicated challenge. And I just think about uh, before going into the therapies, the ease with which I uh, walk and I take for granted how natural and organic it is, but there's a reason it takes humans a year to learn how to walk. It's a very complicated, coordinated process. And I have young kids who fall all of the time. It's easy for them. They bounce back, but it's a really nuanced, complex system of, of brain functions that need to coordinate walking. And this is why we're interested in funding so many different types of therapies that could help address this really complicated system. So some of the work that's ongoing includes drug development, and the Fox Foundation is supporting a pharmaceutical company, Takeda, that's developing a new drug that's aimed at improving balance that we also think might help with attention and focus and cognition because this is all linked into good gait, good walking, um, and preventing of falls. There's also non-drug uh, type of interventions that are being developed, like music therapy uh, to help increase awareness of the beat of the music and try to provide some regularity and stepping and um, what Mark talked about with cadence and uh, length of the stride. There's also a lot of important work that we'd like to build on in the physical therapy space 
that we know provides benefit, but for anyone that has tried to access physical therapy, you might at most get it once a week if you're lucky. You may only get it once a month and it doesn't last forever. And so a lot of the new technologies that are being developed, virtual reality um, devices that could provide sort of a metronome or personalized ticker that helps you um, maintain a positive gait, other non-invasive approaches are largely aimed at making physical therapy more accessible, um, something that people could partner on with their physical therapist and be able to use at home and in the community more routinely. So the Fox Foundation is taking a very holistic approach at trying to invest in treatments that may help adjust neuropharmacology and treatments that augment physical therapy. In parallel, we're working with a lot of important researchers to better understand why gait disturbances occur and progress in Parkinson's overall so that we have smarter um, insights into how this complex process of walking and balance works so that we could uh, fuel future therapeutic development. Can I add to that? I, I think it is just to emphasize this notion, this concept of activating someone through uh, technology. So there are um, walkers or canes that exist that um, ha have a laser attached to them. And one of the common solutions that neurologists use in the clinic when someone's freezing is to either step in front of them to um, try to get the individual to take a step. But these, these lasers, if you point um, to a, a spot on the floor, are really good at sort of reactivating the brain and engaging the circuit so that the person can then take a step towards the spot on the floor if you shine a, a laser on the floor. And so there, there's a number of different technologies that either exist now or in, in development that are really pretty nifty solutions to this complex challenge where um, they can sort of reset the circuit so that one can, when someone is freezing and feels like they are standing in cement, can kind of get out of that and take a quick step and continue with their walking. So it's an exciting area. Agreed. And I remember now many, many years ago, um, talking with a neurologist whose dad had Parkinson's and she said she would put tape in right. his house so that that would help him visually overcome this freezing of gait. But that is limited to your house. And with these technologies, people can be out in the community. They can be out in their neighborhood. They can enjoy time with family in locations that are not at home. And I think that's a really important advance. That is amazing, though. Can we just take a second to to reflect on how the brain works, that you telling yourself, walk, take a step, foot, pick up and move forward, cannot work. But seeing a light or a piece of tape or hearing a specific sound can somehow trick your brain into thinking, okay, now, now I will do this. Like, what is going on in there that that, that happens? I don't know if you can answer. That's sort of a big question, but... No, it's not possible. And this is why I love neuroscience. <laughs> the brain is who you are, uh, and we need to use the brain to figure out how it works. But it is really complicated. I think we're good at seeing, you know, how humans work uh, at a whole person level, and we're very good at understanding how different brain cells function. And then this level of neurocircuitry and how different brain systems coordinate together is an important frontier that is yet to be unlocked and is part of that 
interest in understanding how do you go from a cell function to a human function, there's a lot of missing pieces that we need to, to unlock. You know, but one thing we do know, Katie, you, you mentioned this when you talked about the pharmaceutical trial that we're funding. Um, we know that people with Parkinson's have challenge with executive function, which is sort of multitasking and planning multiple things, executing um, multiple things at once. And it turns out, at least the, the research is suggesting that in Parkinson's, gait is kind of a related to attention and, and multitasking. So if someone is challenged to do, you know, walk and chew gum and, you know, a couple of other tasks at the same time, um, it, it becomes really hard for someone with Parkinson's disease. So I think one of the things that the, the lasers, these lasers or cueing does is sort of focus their attention on walking, whereas, you know, people without Parkinson's, I think, just do it out of habit. Um, but you really have to focus and pay attention. And this role, this kind of what we're understanding about the role of, of attention and related to walking and um, gait, I think is a really exciting area. And, and that's where I think some of these um, solutions and treatments are being derived from. Makes me think of even something like mindfulness and stress reduction and some of the mm -hmm. other things that we think about for Parkinson's would help this. Well, um, just to recap, it sounds like we are looking at the biochemistry and looking at some solutions to what we already know and also trying to explore what we don't know and, and find out more about what's happening in the brain, but also exploring in the meantime, some sort of life hacks, if you will, to, to not need to know exactly what's happening, but how, as you said, Katie, the, the human form operates and how we can address that. Um, so gate on the cellular level and the person level. Um, so this was discussed at the workshop that you hosted in June, Katie, the, uh, the therapies and advancement are in development and how to advance those, but also how to prevent a lot of these issues. And that really comes down to prediction and having the right measures to say, yes, this person is at risk of having gait or balance issues. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the state of the science there? One of the things that is most critical to that vision, Maggie, this idea of preventing falls or preventing worsening of, of gait or uh, balance issues is really better measurements. And this is important. Um, different people, as Mark alluded to, will have gait issues for different reasons. And so one of the opportunities uh, especially with advanced digital health technologies, is to be able to measure gait, not just in the clinic, but in more natural environments like people's homes and neighborhoods. And there's been a lot of um, interesting advances trying to marry that digital health technology, more you know, real-time 24 hours a day type monitoring and movement to what we understand is meaningful to patients and connected to gait. Um, that requires a lot of math, much more complex <laughs> math than I'm capable of doing, but um, advances in machine learning, um, AI, algorithm development is helping uh, better understand and measure gait based on objective wearable devices and helping connect that to what gait looks like in the human form, predicting falls, um, and also seeing who might be more at risk 
for uh, worsening of gait versus those individuals who may not end up having uh, problems with with that aspect of Parkinson's. Yeah, I, w- I, I was just going to pick up on that. I mean, you could imagine a scenario where someone's using one of these devices, a wearable or something in their home that's monitoring their gait passively and picking up on changes that might predict maybe not freezing at the that time, but down the road and using that information as a intervention strategy to say, you know, that, that might signal to the neurologist, hey, we have to um, intervene or do some physical therapy or start thinking about some other um, options to really prevent these falls from occurring. So I think, you know, measuring gait changes that may not be freezing right away, but they may lead to something that could look like freezing, and I think would be a really useful tool in the toolbox of a doctor to help care for for their people living with Parkinson's disease. The other thing I think is sort of maybe a little bit uh, farther down the field, but I think there is research suggesting that individuals that are at risk for developing Parkinson's, so people that might have a genetic mutation associated with Parkinson's, but have not been diagnosed with Parkinson's actually have subtle gait changes, right? Using these, these digital technologies, researchers can measure them. And so that suggests that while I said the falls might occur, the freezing might occur later in, in uh, illness, the gait, subtle gait changes can be detected very early. And so I think that's a really exciting opportunity to really measure some of these um, subtle gait changes and, uh, you know, again, identify individuals that might be right for intervention strategies of treatment. That's happening in our landmark Parkinson's progression markers initiative study, is it not? Yeah. So that the data I see, I mentioned is coming, came out of the Parkinson's progression marker initiative study, the PPMI study. And now we are funding a larger study to sort of verify that data and expand on it in individuals living with Parkinson's that have been diagnosed to really understand some of these gait changes that occur early. And that PPMI study is still recruiting people at risk for Parkinson's and those recently diagnosed. So I'll I'll do a quick plug. If you're interested in learning more, you can visit michaeljfox.org slash podcast dash PPMI because everything that we've been discussing about learning more about the human form of gait challenges and Parkinson's disease and Parkinson's risk, as we were just saying, comes from human volunteers. So if you would like to join us in PPMI, please reach out. Back to to the measures, Katie, you we were chatting before we pressed record here and you were saying something interesting about how it's really hard to measure gait and balance in a clinic setting. That's sort of white coat syndrome we all have of, of doing our best um, in the doctor's office. Can you describe why that challenge exists and how we're trying to overcome it? Beyond uh, human nature, why, why there's performative trying to show up as your best self at the doctor, I can't say more, but I can say that it's certainly true in Parkinson's disease. And it's seemingly uh, particularly true for more advanced gait issues, including freezing of gait. Um, many clinical research studies that are aiming to try to see if treatments provide benefit or relief for freezing of gait actually have a hard time measuring efficacy in a, in a laboratory or a clinical setting 
because many people, despite freezing frequently at home, will not do it in a clinic setting without having some sort of trigger, uh, walking through a doorway or being forced to turn very quickly, which is not to say, you know, the, the normal lived experience of Parkinson's disease. So the ability to take measures and measurement tools home with you as a, a research participant or a person that wants to be empowered to uh, monitor their own disease and, and be a smarter advocate in their own healthcare allows for more realistic and naturalistic and accurate tracking of issues with gait, which I think is going to um, not just transform research, but also has a, the opportunity, as Mark said, to transform the way the Parkinson's um, is treated today. So, Katie, um, you know, we've we've sort of used the workshop that you hosted as our organizing principle today, and and what went on there. Anything else from that meeting that you would like to share with the audience? What what were your major takeaways walking out of that room full of experts? It was an exciting day, and I would emphasize also our experts included people living with Parkinson's disease. And I want people that are interested in in getting more involved with the foundation and with research to know that your perspective is equally, if not more valuable than than many people that have initials after their name. Um, Because you live with Parkinson's, um, whether you have a diagnosis or have a family member with it 24-7. So this group of experts, researchers, clinicians, drug developers, engineers, physical therapists, and patients talked about how do we measure gait? How do we better understand why uh, gait disturbances occur in Parkinson's? And then how do we treat them? One of the themes that, that kept coming up that was quite interesting is this idea of a personalized medicine. Different individuals have underlying neurocircuitry or um, constellation of symptoms that create different types of gait issues for different individuals. This idea of being able to measure gait in individual people relates to wanting to not just look at a population level, but really understand what gait issues are individuals having, and then be able to treat those specific issues um, and that a one-size-fits-all approach would be a dream. We would love, love to see that sort of umbrella solution for treating gait issues, but what we understand right now and what solutions we have today suggests that different people will, will benefit from different types of therapies. And so the more we can um, build solutions and treatments that work for individuals, um, that can be personalized to the gait disturbances that people are experiencing, the greater impact um, we can have today on people living with Parkinson's. And Mark, what can people do today if they are living with Parkinson's and these gait issues? What strategies or maybe life hacks, as we said, would you recommend to people who, who struggle with walking, freezing, and falls? Well, I would um, talk to other people living with Parkinson's because as Katie said, they're really the experts and have, I've seen a lot of innovative life hacks when talking to people with Parkinson's that, that I would never have thought of. So I think um, sharing their information and asking others that are um, experiencing uh, these challenges is useful. I think, you know, things like the, um, Walkers or canes that have lasers on them, those exist. I think those are um, very useful. 
participating in research, I think often is very um, fulfilling and actually provides um, individuals a sense that they're doing something about their um, Parkinson's disease. Um, that also by incidentally, I think often connects them to individuals, doctors um, caring for a lot of people with Parkinson's that um, may uh, have certain tips for them. Um, but also it sometimes connects them to other individuals, other people living with Parkinson's. So I think it just in increases your network of um, people you can rely on and uh, off ask for advice. Um, I should also mention the, the Fox Foundation Buddy Network. That is a good way um, to find individuals that are living with similar symptoms and um, ask uh, their opinions on um, what works for them. I think that's also a good opportunity. Great. And I'll, I'll add um, one more from my list, something Katie called out earlier as I'm the daughter of a physical therapist. So I'll always give a plug to PT and exercise as helping with, with gait and balance. So um, something that absolutely can help prevent or, or um, offset the impact of that symptom. So well, thank you so much uh, for joining us, Katie. Don't tell Brian, but you are an amazing guest and we're sure to have you back. Thanks, Maggie, for inviting me. This was a great opportunity to share some of the work that I do at the Fox Foundation with the community that makes it all possible. And Mark, always nice chatting with you. Thanks, Maggie. And thanks so much, Katie. I can't wait to have you back. And thank you to you all, our listeners, who your generous support and your research participation make the advances in Parkinson's research and the efforts of our foundation possible. For more resources on gait and balance issues, as well as the many other aspects of living with Parkinson's disease, visit our website, michaeljfox.org, and stay tuned for our next episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Community members like you are bringing us closer than ever to a world without Parkinson's disease. Learn how you can support the Michael J. Fox Foundation in its mission at michaeljfox.org. This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org.